Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin from the Derwin Lester Show, and with me today is the man, the myth, the legend, the way of life that is Evan Kelly. Evan, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me again, Derwin. And today I want to talk about your new podcast venture. What is that uh, podcast called again, sir? Yeah, so the podcast is Your Favorite Movie, and it is exactly what the title says. I'm interviewing guests, asking them about their favorite movies, and unpacking what movies mean to people. What do movies mean to you? I think for me, movies mean a lot of things. But one of the things that they mean to me is adult maturity and expression. Really? And so, yeah, yeah. And I, I there's a story that goes along with this. I grew up in a household, mo most people I feel like maybe you know, they, they have maybe like politically conservative parents who are maybe then more personally progressive, like they swear and do whatever. But mine were kind of the opposite. My parents were liberals, but like very afraid still of like the media's corrupting influence on us. Like, sure. um, you know, I one of the most trouble I ever got in is when I snuck downstairs to watch South Park as a kid. Like that was just absolutely off the table. Um, there's also a very famous incident where my dad um, caught me listening to the Avril Lavigne song Girlfriend, which um, includes the line, hell yeah, I'm the motherfucking princess, and then banned Avril Lavigne from the house. So like, like we were talking like everything super locked down. I did not have a ton of experience with cultural stuff as like a younger child and an adolescent, which I think is why I've gone so over the top as an adult and, you know, have really thrown myself into the, the pop culture. I'll be honest. That's some real PG rated rebellion. You got going there, sir. Right. <laughs> Avril right. Lavigne in South Park. Now this is South Park probably after season 10. I'm just guessing. Uh, you know, like, yeah, 2000 uh, Towley. I remember fucking Towley. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so I just was always really behind on all of these cultural things. But my mom always liked movies. And there was one day where we were at the Galesburg Public Library and I went to discover the movie section. And I pulled out a DVD copy of Chinatown. And I was like so nervous to check it out because I was like, my mom's not going to let me watch this. Like, there's no way that this is going to fly. Chinatown. And then, yeah. Well, I mean, I was like probably in high school at this point. Oh, like, yeah. we're, we're we're late stage. Like, we're trying to we're trying to get up there on the intellectual development. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I'm so nervous. And then, my mom just looks at the Chinatown DVD and says, "That's a really good movie." And. I think from that point on, I came to understand movies as 
a place where I could start to safely mature into watching more sophisticated content. And I kind of never looked back from there. So it's fills a part of your soul. It sounds like it's, it's you were, there was a dearth of a bereft of, of, of meaning that you're looking for. And because I remember being a kid. Now this was like the nineties when my parents were like, you can't watch the Simpsons. That's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Cause George Bush said so or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He said, uh, I think American families should be more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons. You know, and he did a great guest star spot on the show. But <laughs> I can definitely relate to that to once you go out into the world and become your own man, then you want to see what all of the world has to offer and kind of explore every single corner and all the pieces of it. So if you had to say, what is your current favorite movie or is that going to be on a podcast that you want to hold that for no i mean that that's kind of the thing is i i hadn't really settled on a favorite favorite movie but over the course of of recording this show i think that it's really helped me kind of solidify what my thinking is but i also want to point out that i appreciate how you said current favorite movie because i feel like that's so variable and i feel Definitely. like there are different movies that tell different pieces of the story of my life so i feel a very deep connection to the film moneyball to kind of explain moneyball moneyball yeah um and like this isn't my final answer for favorite movie but it, it is definitely one of my favorite movies because a lot of people see it as a baseball movie maybe see it as a statistics movie both of those things are true but they're not the main point of the film moneyball Moneyball is the deeply human story of a man who, because of the American culture that he's steeped in, will never feel good enough. Billy Bean says in Moneyball, if you don't win the last game of the season, nothing else matters. Oh. It is not the story of how he triumphantly revolutionized baseball through statistical analysis. It's the story of how he completely changed the game of baseball but still doesn't feel good enough just because he couldn't win the World Series. Oh. And I find that, like I said, probably not so much anymore, but you know, I was a competitive guy, I did speech and debate, and yeah. I definitely bought into that ethos of if, it, if you're not winning the last game of the season, nothing else matters. You're not and, first or last, Ricky Bobby. Yeah, yeah, in a very different way, but... <laughs> But yes, so Moneyball, I think, A, is a much more sophisticated movie than people give it credit for. <clears throat> and also a very deeply personal one for me. A good... I am fascinated by that idea of the pressure we put on ourselves, the quest to be good enough. Um, I... I assume I'll never be good enough. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not trying to, like, pat my... You know, it's... I'm not... It doesn't, it's not a profound statement. It's like, oh, there's, there's always going to be someone better or I'll never be the best, but you just go, you know, like what's the personal best for me, right? Like that's because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, and I understand that kind of voice in the back of your head. Um, I felt a lot of the same pressures in my previous job where you're like, you got to be good enough, but I know for me, an early movie that was 
my favorite for a long time was actually Rocky Six. Rocky Six, okay. Yeah, real late into the franchise. Um, and it's full, because full disclosure, I've only seen original Rocky and then that first Creed movie. But please continue. You know the formula. It's this. It's it's the formula. But he's sixty now, and uh, and I don't really even really like the others too much. Right? Creed's pretty good, but that's just because Creed's newer. <laughs> um, but Rocky Six came out the winter in between basic combat training and combat medic school for me. And I was home for a couple weeks that winter. And I, there's a line in Rocky six where it says life ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward because that's how winning's done. And I had just spent two and a half months in basic training, trying as hard as I could and performing very mediocrely, right? <laughs> like just barely, you know, like if there wasn't a war on and they weren't desperately short of bodies, I probably wouldn't have passed. That's <laughs> how, you know. Part of the success story of Derwent is being in the right place at the right time where they're desperate for people. And I see Rocky Six, Rocky Balboa, and I'm like, oh shit, that's me. And then I kind of glommed onto that and latched onto it. It was, but that was a transformational movie in my youth. When did you see Moneyball? So, yeah, and that's the, the other wild thing, too, is that I feel like as I started to understand more about film and the messaging power of film, I kept coming back to Moneyball and finding these new layers. So I watched it once in high school with a big group of friends and, you know, I was watching it. I was liking it. But like we were there, we were flirting with the girls like it wasn't a super deep yeah. be watching experience. But then, you know my mom coming back into play she got me a dvd copy of it and i rewatched it and i was like oh there there's a real melancholy here and then i just kind of sat with that mood and since i had it on dvd i could rewatch it all the time and did yeah. <laughs> um still have that dvd copy to this day sitting in my dvd stack um and just started to pick up more and more about what's the real story that bennett miller was trying to tell was so high school but probably wasn't really until freshman year of college that i fully understood why i loved it so much so moving on past college now that, that, that what was probably your favorite movie after that i'm curious yeah so i think the next stage in the development would be the coen brothers movie inside lou and davis because i'm unfamiliar think, okay yeah it's well it's it's amazing like it would still be a top five pick for me to this day and I think it is the story of someone who at one point had won the last game of the season but then you realize there's always another season and even winning the last game of the season might not be adequate because it tells the story of a folk musician who was in a successful duo when his musical partner commits suicide and now he's trying to strike out on his own and uh for, for spoiler alerts it doesn't work out fantastic for Lewin um I think I think it really tells the story of what it's like to be good at something 
in a culture that demands greatness. There's a theme here. There's a common yeah. theme between these movies that I'm responding to. Um, and I think it speaks a lot to the way that I process my own experience in life. Yeah. It's... <clears throat> I, I know for me, and I've told you this before, I think, but I I try to never, I don't shoot for success. I try to run from failure just because one is way more common than the other. Failure happens all the time to almost everybody in nearly every situation. <laughs> success almost never happens. Then maybe you can just like, I don't know, not fail. <laughs> and like, cause I, I, you know, if I get one, you know sale or one download or whatever i'm like oh i feel like that's successful but then again it, it, a lot of it's like your definition of success you know and it could be like an external versus an internal definition and mm. you know if you've defined your own internal definition or not and because i guess you know i know for me i defined my own internal definition of failure a long time ago and so you kind of take the mirror image of that. Uh, then you're like, oh, well, that's what success is. It's the opposite of failure. You just run the other way. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on success, failure, internalization, external stuff? Yeah, so I think your take is a very mature take on it. And I think that that's always the goal, right? Is to be able to set your own standard for success. But at the same time, that is so hard to do because we are constantly bombarded with messages and stories and mythology and this engine that chugs along that demands that we strive for more, that demands that we always compare ourselves to others instead of focusing on what we have. And there's, there's a movie recommendation I've got for you that would also be very close to the top on my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie called Brad's Status, and it's about a man named Brad Sloan, played by Ben Stiller in one of his uh, more serious dramatic roles, fantastic performance. Um, and he is just kind of this guy who lives sort of like a, an upper middle class life in Sacramento. He works for a nonprofit. Um, and his, he's got a you know beautiful wife and a son who is like very talented musically. And his son is now a senior in high school. And so they go on a trip to visit the campus of Harvard where his son is considering applying to. And being back in this college environment kind of makes him relive his own college glory days. And he, there were a lot of hopes and dreams that he had that kind of never came to fruition. And especially when contrasted to his group of college friends who are all very materially successful, they've all achieved some degree of fame and notoriety, Brad feels inadequate. But it has a very hopeful ending that I think reaffirms that we do have the power to choose how we set that standard. I think it just takes a lot of very, very intentional thought and self-talk really to remind yourself of what matters. Yeah. Um, I know I'm, you know, I mean, I compare myself to other people all the time. I, I, you know, I think, oh, I wish this had done better or, you know, whatever. Or like I told you off mic, sometimes I'll put like all this thought and effort and just construct this 
dense tapestry of an artistic story with like different narrators and actors and stuff. And then look at like 12 listens on Spotify and then I'll film five seconds of my cat and put it up on YouTube and that stupid cat will get 4,000 views. <laughs> and I'll just be like, you stupid fucking cat, I hate you so much. I love my cat, don't get me wrong. But if anything- I'm jealous I'm of the cat. I'm, I'm comparing myself to my cats, Evan. <laughs> and, well, but we're hardwired to do it, right? Yeah. The, the, when back, you know, in human evolution, the humanoids that were aware that they were getting less food than the other humans took steps to correct it and then what? lived. The ones that didn't care about how they were performing relative to other humans starved and died and their genes <laughs> did not continue on to us. So we are really swimming upstream of our own genetic hardwiring. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, the cat's the star, but I, I get the account. So, you know, if I get enough views, I can monetize the cat. Yeah, and the cat's then, your employee. Kind of. And then I can just, you know, uh, pay my mortgage off of cat videos. That's the American <laughs> dream right there. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the modern American dream. Until, of course, five years from now when it's all about you know, whatever fusion of TikTok and NFTs have dominated the Elon Musk verse. And then, you know, I'll I'll be dead in five years if that's the case. <laughs> it's okay. I'll be dead. You can't die. You're gonna be a dad. That's <laughs> right. Oh shit. Yeah, I gotta stick around. Gotta stick you around don't for the little just guy. Die anymore, man. You're Damn, done. I should have thought of <laughs> like before you had a kid, if it was just you and your wife, then yeah, she'll find another husband. She's amazing. You know, you could die. Your death would barely matter, right? <laughs> but now you have a kid on the way. You don't get to just die, right? You get to oh, suffer. You're like so right. You're so right. I'll just put, you know, and then you say, oh, just put all your hopes and dreams into the kid. But you can't fucking do that. You got to let the kid do its own thing. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I'm projecting everything onto that child, I'm going to mess that kid up. So I, you just I, have to sit back. I got, I, and while the Lord has seen fit to bless me with children, you're probably going to fuck the kid up anyway. Yeah. Right? To a certain level, you're going to overcorrect from what your parents yeah, did. You're going to fuck the kid up in the opposite way of how your parents fucked you up. Yeah. <laughs> My kid is going to watch R-rated movies from the time he's six, and then he's going to like become a sociopath. Take him to burlesque shows at 13. It's going to be great. <laughs> He's going to listen to way too much Avril Lavigne. <laughs> way too much Avril Lavigne. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, whenever we have kids, it'll probably just be like, I love you so much. I know, Dad. No, you don't fucking get it. And I'll be like <laughs> really intensely like affirmative and like loving, almost to an aggressive, like scary amount. Like, you know, dad means well, but he also can't turn it off either. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like that uh, dynamic where you're you're kind of going between this rock and the hard place of yeah. being too distant or too smothering. Yeah. And, you know, no, nobody, nobody makes it out okay from their parents. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, if you don't drop them, you'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't drop the kid. Um, you wear the soft spot. and you know. There's a soft spot, you know, plenty of food, you know. Yeah keep the job be good it 
there's very like the, the the bar for success is pretty low, right? <laughs> the bar for not failing is very low. The bar for not failing is very low. Just don't drop the kid, and uh, you know, bring home a paycheck once in a while. You'd be fine. <laughs> Again, I don't have any kids, so you know, I don't know. I'm gonna be asking you what to do whenever we start having kids. <laughs> You're gonna be my guy. I'd be like, look, man, there's stuff coming out of both ends, and he's levitating. So I'm going to say ankle weights and a cork and a priest, probably <laughs> just stock up on holy water and, and uh, do it. Do it yourself. Saves money. I do have holy water in my car. They give in you the car. When, yeah. They give you holy water when you become a Catholic and uh, they give you a little bottle to put in your car just in case you come up on an accident. You can baptize someone uh, before they check out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forget Catholics have all these all these theories about stuff like that. Oh yeah, there's all sorts of like superpowers and stuff, and like it's 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 surprisingly you know like there's not like an expanded Catholic universe like you know like I could see where the MCU got a lot of its material from. Like my favorite story from Catholic school, adult Catholic school, was there was a priest in Spain in the 1940s and uh he could levitate and like he would like administer mass and levitate and he had like stigmata hands and stuff and you could like lightning and shit and then they just thought he was crazy so they locked him in a cell and then his guardian angel was there and then the devil would show up and he would fight the devil and the devil would beat the crap out of him and he turned to his guardian angel and say why wouldn't you help and the guardian angel says you're kind of arrogant so you kind of need to like be brought down a peg and I'm like, I'm a like Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that we've talked about religion and the priesthood because my favorite movie is about a priest. Oh, shit. This is the movie. Yeah. This is the movie First Reformed. Starring... He brought it back. <laughs> yeah. See, we're always thinking. Ethan Hawke plays uh, Reverend Ernst Toller, who yeah. is a priest who his son died in Iraq. And so he is kind of shell shocked and he kind of gets this sweetheart job as a pastor at a church that is kind of has a dwindling congregation, but it's a historic church. So it's sort of propped up by the patronage of a mega church. And they, they refer to his church as the gift shop um, <laughs> because it's just sort of like a tourist attraction. Um, and so his health is failing, his congregation is dwindling, and he has a very brief but intense spiritual reckoning with a disturbed young man in his congregation that doesn't end well. And so he just starts to slip more and more. And I think that it's a movie about the fundamental tension between hope and despair. And I think especially, um, as, as we talked about before, the last few years of my life were very challenging, kind of being unemployed during a pandemic, doubting yourself, feeling at this very low moment. I think that I definitely relate to that movie. The good news is that, like I said, it's not just a movie about despair. It is about the continual juggling of despair and hope and i think that as my life has gotten better 
I can see that hopeful side more now. Well, you're through the you're through the tall grass, man. Like you man out the other side and you can kind of see the path forward. Mm-hmm. It's you know. And it's hard to see that when you're walking around the jungle and it's dark. I'm using Vietnam metaphors because that's how my family used to talk. <laughs> because Charlie's <laughs> in the bushes. But <laughs> Well, I remember I thought back in 2016, I said, okay, this this is rock bottom. We're going to pick it up. And then in 2017, I said, oh, shit, I didn't know what rock bottom was. And then we did it again in 2018. And then we did it again in 2019. And then 2020 came and I said, this time for sure, this one is rock bottom. And thankfully it was because 2021 got better. 2022 has been better still. You had like a five, four or five year like rough patch, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I didn't know it was that bad. I knew 2020 was bad for you, but. Yeah, it it was the whole thing. But like I said, we've had. We're, we're about to close out on back-to-back good years for the first time <laughs> since 2015. So we're going to be okay. And that really makes you appreciate um, good stuff, right? Like, you know, to mix another metaphor, going into the lion's den and fight a lion for just years on end. And then you get out of the lion's den and you're just kind of like, you got your, your fist up, but there's no lion. And you're just kind of waiting. No lion, but you're you're ready, right? Like, you know what it's like, and you know what he sounds like. You know what he likes to do to you. And it's, I know it was, it was, it, it's hard to kind of adjust to life being just good, you know. Like I, the since and we've talked about this before since the pandemic hit, um. I put on my Sergeant Lester hat and was, you know, an NCO again in my head. And I turned my house into a survivalist bunker because I've seen the news, you know, (laughs) you're kind of silly if you don't do a little bit of that. And for years, my everything was geared toward a mission, which was, you know, maintain FOB Lester and make sure my wife is okay and make sure she never wants for anything and just juggle and then lately i've been like oh pandemic's over i mean as over as it ever will be and i don't have to just be consumed with the mission anymore i can you know i can be a person again and fuck what it was a few weeks back i Spend, I had a whole Ferris Bueller's Day Off experience, right? Where I'm running around. I'm like, oh, we'll go to this Goodwill and go to that Goodwill. And here's a half price books and here's disc replay. And just just doing everything I want. I signed up for a pool membership. I went for a swim. It was great. And then like on the drive back, I am just bawling, crying, right? <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I guess I can just do this. And it's while yes i spent a lot of time building in insurance to make sure we don't fail because i know what failure looks like i grew up around it but also there's a lot of people that did the same thing and now they're dead or they've got long COVID, or you know 
I, I look at all of the things that happened to the COVID deaths and I look at the Ukraine war and I'm like, oh, I'm no better than them. I'm just lucky. And I made a half dozen really good choices. And those really good choices you make kind of compound on each other. But I found this. But I do think, go ahead. Go on. I was just going to say, I think there's something to it though. We, I think, have a tendency to organize our lives around our struggle. Almost we yeah. organize our identity around our struggle. And when that struggle goes away, it's not so easy to reorient everything. Yeah. And there's, guess what? Another movie that I think deals <laughs> with this extraordinarily well. And that movie would be uh, 2022's The Northman, directed by Robert Eggers. The, the Northman is a story about a young, I'll call him a Viking boy, um, whose father is murdered, his mother is kidnapped by the boy's uncle, and he is sort of exiled. And then his entire life, he says, I'm going to avenge my father, I'm going to rescue my mother, I'm going to kill my uncle. It's like his mantra. And so he grows up, he's super ripped, he's ready to go and do all his revenge. But when he finally gets to his mother to rescue her, he finds out, spoiler alert, that it was actually his mother who orchestrated his father's murder so that she could marry the uncle and they could rule the kingdom without worrying about the father or even the son. And even though there's nothing left for him to avenge, <laughs> he cannot, he can't give it up. And he's still just as committed to this violent crusade, oh, even yeah. though it was built on a lie. It's, oh, yeah. it, it, there's no going back for him anymore. You mean sometimes people can commit themselves to like a big lie and then that's all they can really think about. And then mm. even, even though it's been disproven, <laughs> they're still like consumed with it. Oh, the eighth is going to be fun. <laughs> I can't wait for election day. I'll just stay home. for. Look, I still have two years worth of food and bullets. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and your water i've seen all your water You're exactly good. it's a fucking pool down there <laughs> then why'd you need a pool membership well i can't do the chlorine stuff. the chlorine no i get it the chlorine chlorine That's yeah expensive you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's, well like in my head you know it, it it's funny like i remember like only having 11 dollars and eating half a box of mres and now I'm like, oh, I'm comfortable middle class and I feel like I'm fucking rich. You know, <laughs> I make exactly the median American income. But <laughs> feels like like you love like a king. What I like about doing podcasts with you is because I'm very much free flowing all over the place. I kind of start with an idea and then we end way too off the distance. And then you're like, oh, let's keep it structured. <laughs> <laughs> well, then in the in the interest of structure, I want to kind of try to tie together all of these ideas to really punctuate why I love movies. And that is because they help me organize the world. Yeah. I can see these stories and there's a clarity when it's done right that isn't present in the messiness of everyday scenarios. And so in watching these stories on the screen, I can make these connections to my own life. And by seeing something fictional, I think it actually helps me better understand my own reality 
and my own emotions as well. I, I, and this isn't a movie. This is a scene from Doctor Who that every time I see it, I break down crying, right? And there's different, are you familiar with Doctor Who at all? There's a TARDIS. Cool. So Doctor Who has been played by something like 15 different actors at this point. And they're different types of actors. Some of them are, you know, like, oh, he's 26 and sexy. Another, you know, there's another one that was like 55 and melancholic and just kind of, a melancholic Scotsman, basically, who's in his middle aged guy. And that one's my favorite because he's just like, he, he's tired, but he still knows what the right thing to do is. And he can't not do the right thing. And there's this scene where these shape-shifting aliens were resettled to Earth. And one of them uh, gets a revolutionary idea and she wants to just like lead an uprising and kill all the humans in charge and take over the planet because she feels that her people have been disenfranchised. And uh, the government's response in England is, hey, we'll just nuke the city. <laughs> you know, and because I'm like, well, yeah, they would say, go fuck yourself and nuke the city. That makes sense. And Doctor Who says, uh, we're going to do what everyone should do in the first place and sit down and talk. And the alien says, what do you know of war? And he says, oh, God, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. He says, when I close my eyes, all I can hear are the screams of the souls I couldn't save. And 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 it's it's such a powerful message of somebody who knows what it's like and who's seen all of the terrible things of the world. And when encounters someone who's very passionate and but also naive and doesn't know what they're looking for. Like 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 I I think about that when I hear people modern day talk about like, oh, we should just have like a civil war and whatever. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I know what that looks like. I caught the briefest, greatest hits version, right? Like I, the, 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 the fraction that I saw my nine months there, my nine very peaceful months there. I, you know, it's, it's, they don't know what they're asking for <laughs> and when they do. It'll take four generations to get back what we have currently. And whenever I see that Doctor Who clip, it's from the episode from season nine called The Zygon Invasion. It's fucking wonderful, I'll send it to you. Makes me break down in tears every time. But if I couldn't pick a favorite movie, that's probably my favorite scene from television right now. Do you have his favorite scene from television? My favorite scene from television let me think you're not really a tv guy i mean i have been in the past but i think that tv feels like such an obligation now mm. like i i think i've seen as much tv as i want to see except for certain cases um you know whatever nathan fielder does i'll watch that's good um atlanta's almost done i like atlanta but um but yeah, like I think just like going back and rewatching Simpsons episodes is is pretty good when I just want to vegetate. I was um, gonna ask what's your favorite Simpsons episode? Yeah, so um going back to our Simpsons roundtable, my answer is pretty stable from that. Um El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Homer, the mysterious voyage of Homer, where he eats the insanity peppers. <laughs> um it's just great because it's like 
madcap in the beginning there's the johnny cash spirit coyote um i say all the time i'm missing the cook-off like i just <laughs> i quote that constantly um but then at the end it's like really rooted in character and it reaffirms the love between homer and marge and i think it's just the perfect not just simpsons episode but perfect tv episode for how to join the silly and the sweet yeah. in a way that just creates this textured and perfect emotional experience so let's let's say the ending scene of that episode where marge finds him at the lighthouse and then the short shorts uh <laughs> boat crashes that's that, that's probably my favorite scene from television that i can point to or the end of six feet under very different tone also pretty amazing <laughs> very two different, different things yeah you still watch modern simpsons right I do, I do, and I'm caught up. I watched the Treehouse of Horror that they just had. Um, and I gotta say, like, it was very good. It was a really good Treehouse of Horror. Like, the first one they did, uh, well, so last one. I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. If it's good, I'll watch it. You should watch it, yes. Um, so they did one episode that was just a complete, straight up parody of it. And that was the whole episode. And then they did like a normal Treehouse of Horror that was like an anthology. The first segment was um, a parody of the Babadook called the Pookadook. Uh, don't <laughs> tell me, don't funny. tell me, don't tell me. I, 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 I don't know anything. I just want to go in cold. It, okay, cool. It's good. Well, it's good. It's good. It, I would say the middle segment good, is the weakest. In. Yes, okay. Um... What else? Oh, you are coming up on an anniversary here because you've done what a hundred episodes of of a podcast? Is that right? Yeah. So as of as of the time of recording this show, um, tomorrow will mark my one hundredth episode of a podcast as either a host, co-host, or featured guest. So um, I thought that I could get to a hundred initially just on my, my original show adequately informed. We petered out at 84, which I still think is pretty good. That's pretty good. That, those, those shows were long. It was weekly. Like we put a lot of time and effort into that and I'm proud of the product too. I, I, yeah. I I'm happy with that. And then I still I've have added... a link to adequately informed on my website. I appreciate it. <laughs> you, if you click on podcasts on divided by zero books.com and drops down adequately informs there, go straight nice. to it on Spotify. Perfect. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, I don't have one for your so, favorite movie yet. But <laughs> that's all right. You know, it's uh, it's almost done. But yeah, <laughs> and and that's the thing. Um, I had envisioned your favorite movie as a mini series, and I've kind of got all the recordings I need for that. But you know, I feel like reaction has been positive to it. So I don't know if there will be like a, a season two or if it's yeah. time to look at something else. But overall, between yeah adequately informed your favorite movie and uh the derwin lester show slash blanket fortress of solitude um yeah 100 episodes and i think that's pretty cool i think that it demonstrates the fact that i have enough longevity mm -hmm. and um how do i want to put this um like ability, right? You keep having me back. <laughs> um, I did your favorite movie. I had to learn to edit, which I think was actually a fantastic experience because now I can edit. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of that anymore. Like no. I can edit this show if you want. Like I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's a good skill to have, and it's marketable. Yeah. 
you know that was kind of the thing during the the long layoff of me looking for jobs i was kind of like oh, you know is there any podcasting jobs and there are but they're all for editors and now i can edit yeah um yeah because like no one wants to be a podcast editor right so how do those pay <laughs> anyway uh I, we never got to that stage of the interview process got it <laughs> that's fair um yeah no i think if i was gonna just edit a podcast like oh, i just put it at mine yeah um you know <laughs> that's why i even learn i know half the stuff i do just because i'm like well no one's gonna do it for me so i should learn how to do it myself um i have a friend who is like i i talked to him about how he's teaching himself graphic design and really more in-depth stuff like photoshop and I was like, oh, man, I wish I knew that. He's like, well, you know, you could teach yourself if you wanted to. I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I could. But, you know, I, it's there's not really I don't really have the the, the 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 space to learn new stuff at the moment. Like right now, it's we just kind forget, of doing all the things I know. We forget how hard it is to learn new skills specifically, Yeah, like to actually train your brain to do something novel yeah. And challenging is very hard once you hit a certain age. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty young still, but I think the brain's pretty much done by 25 and I'm past that. So like my brain, it's not, uh, it's not so squishy anymore. Yeah. And you kind of get that way too with people. I mean, after a while you're like, well, I kind of know everybody I want to know. Like why would I want to meet new people? Like, or, and I think it's just because, you know, and people hate it when I say this, but there's not that many different variations on people. Not really. <laughs> You're like a younger Pete Barlow with better hair. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm probably, I don't know, take your fucking pick. Like I'm a Midwestern furry veteran guy. I'm a, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a, 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 a blue eyed white dude. Uh, ex-military guy in indiana there's a lot of us you know <laughs> you can box me and sell me at fucking target as an action figure now it would be walmart meat. but yeah exactly <laughs> kane included you know because the va gave me a cane a couple years ago and i wept inside um but yeah it's um you meet people and you're like oh i've known like four different versions of you already and i hated three of them so we're gonna go <laughs> off i'm probably not gonna like you <laughs> i do think though there's something to be said for remaining open to those types of relationships you know i moved around a lot just for school like nothing yeah. like what you went through like growing up like with mm. all your different addresses and whatnot but at this point you know i've i've had several different stops and i really think that especially when you look at your favorite movie that is such a cool project for me because it's a great capsule of all of the relationships i've made over the course of my life yeah. you know i have childhood friends on that show i have people from high school people from college people from grad school i lived in champagne for 1 year and i have multiple guests that are my my very good friends from Champagne are on that show. Um, and then of course the, the people that I've met since being in Indianapolis. Like I, I just think that I I have had so many rich experiences that it 
it's it's nothing i can't use any word short of blessing to describe the the people who have been in my life and i i think that the show is partly a celebration of that as much as it is a celebration of film yeah i i did something similar with pandemic perspectives in which they just kind of became perspectives since the pandemic's over i guess where i just anybody that would say yes on facebook right <laughs> it was on the show i wasn't super picky if you said yes you were on and <clears throat> um I have all these like different, I'm, I'm working through my memoirs right now. I'm, I'm uh, writing them in blog post form for the blog literature for warriors. And in the blog, you can like hyperlink to podcast episodes. And so I'm like, Oh, each blog post has a chapter of my army career. I'm like, Oh, I can put an episode with, Oh, there's two people from Iraq and two people from medic school and two people from the national guard. And, and I can say, oh, I met this guy and learn more about his story at this link. And I know what you mean. You kind of like, it, it's a celebration of all the people you've collected. And, you know, that's kind of why I have you on all the time, just because I like talking to you. And I'm, I'm glad you kind of make time today. I know how busy you are because, you know, you're starting a new job and you're getting ready to be a dad and probably trying to cure cancer or something. I don't know. You've always <laughs> got a lot of side projects going. And it sounds very exhausting. You're like, oh, I'm doing these 15 things at once. <laughs> but I, I need this, man. I need to come yeah. and talk to you. Like, I, I will always make time for this. This is top of my list, man. This is very good for me. That's great. I, I didn't want to like, you know, I'll cut this in, in a second. I'll cut this out. But I, I didn't want to like bug you, I guess, because I would feel like I was just like, why won't you play with me? But anyway, so and we're going right back into it. Um, after your favorite movie, what are you thinking you'll be doing? after the, if you don't do a season two what are you thinking about doing yeah so i have a big list of things that i'm kind of mulling over but i think one thing that i really liked about doing the your favorite movie project was that it required a huge amount of effort and time to make one sort of product that I felt was very polished and I felt very good about. Mm -hmm. And so I want to take that ethos forward into whatever it is, whether it's written, whether it's audio based, whether it's performance based, I I'm looking to continue to swing for the fences. I like that. And I think we'll end there for the Derwin Lester Show. I am Derwin. And I'm Evan. And I will see you next Monday morning at 0700.